0: Hello over there on the other side of the pond. This is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. The name of this show is From Across the Pond, so named because we put the show together in the studios of Cabrini University, which is across the road from Eastern University. This... Baptist Evangelical School, where I've taught for more years than I want to tell you, and where Shane became educated. Every, <laughs> everything he knows. Everything he, I know. Everything he knows he picked up at Eastern University, and I like to say, and at other joints. You know, there we go. So there we go. Uh, we're, we're here, and we're interviewing today uh, Jonathan Reckford. Uh, Jonathan is now uh, the Executive uh, Director of uh, the executive officer of Habitat for Humanity. Everybody around the world has heard of Habitat for Humanity, and they build houses. It was started by uh, a guy named Millard Fuller. Could you give us a little background on Habitat for Humanity, uh, where it came from, and how many houses have you, has Habitat built around the world to date? And get rolling by giving us a background on Habitat.
1: Thank you, Tony and Shane, great to be with you both. Um, The story of Habitat is really a remarkable story. It starts with a pastor named Clarence Jordan, who started an interracial farm in South Georgia in 1942. And uh, you can imagine how popular that was. And in the Mm. 60s, the farm was really struggling. They had been bombed and boycotted and harassed. And uh, but Clarence had had a a big impact on nonviolent social protest and trained lots of pastors. And he pulled a small group together to pray about what God might have in store next. And out of that uh, really extraordinary week of prayer in 1968, they came up with this idea of a fund for humanity. Uh, And one of the elements would be helping sharecropping farmers who were living in terribly inadequate shacks um, to have the community come together, give them a no-profit loan, and help them build a proper home, and then they would pay back that loan and, in the spirit of Christian community, keep making payments so the fund would be sustainable. And Millard Fuller, who had been a a social entrepreneur before the term uh, was coined, grabbed this idea and first went to Africa as a missionary with Disciples of Christ and tested it out for three years in Zaire, now Congo, and then came back in 1976, and the Fund for Humanity became habitat for humanity. And the basic idea, the principles haven't changed that much, though the way we work has evolved quite a lot around the world. But uh, the families, it's not a giveaway program. The families pay back uh, an affordable loan. Um, they put in sweat equity, helping build their home and their neighbor's homes. And then, um, and we only serve families who couldn't otherwise be served by a bank. So we're serving the low income families who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford a home. The amazing thing, and it really is hard to explain without God, is we just announced two days ago that we have cumulatively now helped 29 million people around the world have new or improved housing. And a lot of that has been some of our newer work in very low-income countries helping very low-income families have um, loans that allow them to incrementally improve their housing uh, and build in stages that, where they can afford uh, the steps. Mm. But it has been an extraordinary story, and we serve in 70 countries around the world and have about 1,200 uh, chapters or affiliates across the United States.
0: Yeah, let me add to this. Uh, Habitat for Humanity started by Millard Fuller uh, out of Koinonia uh, Farms where uh, Clarence Jordan uh, really did the initial bringing together of people for this vision. Uh, but uh, Fuller was a very, very prominent guy. But the man who really made Habitat famous has been and continues to be, even in his late, even in his 90s, is Jimmy Carter. Uh, could you tell a little bit about Jimmy Carter's involvement with Habitat for Humanity?
1: You know, President Carter is truly remarkable. And, uh, and I think you could say, even though clearly Millard Fuller was the founder and, and I would call Clarence Jordan the, the sort of spiritual father of Habitat, um, President Carter put it on the map. So when he came back from the White House to Plains, Georgia, which is very close to Americus, Millard um, lobbied hard to get him involved, and he first got involved locally, and everything changed for Habitat in 1984 when President and Mrs. Carter and a busload of volunteers from Georgia went up to New York City and rehabbed a tenement building on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And the image of a former U.S. president sleeping in a church basement and uh, doing carpentry work um, in a rough part of of New York City just captured the world's imagination. And I think that was clearly the inflection point. And remarkably now, this this year was the 36th year in a row that President and Mrs. Carter have spent a week building somewhere in the world. And, you know, the volunteers and leaders and all the people they have attracted to the mission have unquestionably uh, had a huge impact on those numbers I shared. And it was pretty amazing. President Carter turned 95 uh, beginning of October. Um, the morning he was going to come to Nashville and start building, he fell and actually cut his head. And, uh, and everyone thought, oh, maybe he shouldn't come. And he was absolutely determined and Mm. came and built every day was there all week Mm. and and continues to uh, just be a you know a beacon of encouragement to people and what i love is president carter has said over and over again that habitat for humanity is the best way he knows to put his christian faith into action in a very practical way and the chance to cross what he says is maybe the toughest divide in our society now the socioeconomic divide and have meaningful relationship with families in, in different economic circumstances and work alongside them is something that um, gives him joy and he always feels he gets more out of it than anything he's able to give to it.
2: One, one of my favorite, uh, uh, comics or little stories was uh, when when Donald Trump was talking about building the wall on the border, they had a picture of Jimmy Carter, and they said this is the kind of walls that President Carter believes in. He was building a wall of a Habitat house. You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> That's there you go. Right? You know, uh, Carter has been strong on maintaining a Habitat for Humanity as a faith-based Christian organization. Uh, our listeners over in the United Kingdom. Uh, this program goes all over the United Kingdom on the premier network over there and uh, via the internet goes around the world. Probably we're reaching about a, maybe about 150,000 people on any given program. Uh, they need to know uh, that Jimmy Carter, uh, what you just said about him saying, it's a great way to express my Christian commitment. It's a faith-based organization. Could you comment more about its Christian uh, nature?
1: absolutely so the habitat for humanity's mission is to we seek to put god's love into action by bringing people together to build homes communities and hope and and we do this to be a practical demonstration of god's love in the world and one of the a, a wise person said a long time ago there are problems you solve and tensions you manage and i sometimes think that's helpful because habitat if you think about the first part of our mission it's all it's about god's love in action and if you think about the center of our mission, it's all about inclusion and bringing people together. And I think in our sometimes increasingly divided world, people are, are saying you can choose either to be inclusive or to be Christian. And we really fundamentally reject that. We would actually say because we are Christian, we are inclusive, and we are completely committed, um, as we say, to keep God at the center but not at the border of habitat. So mm. everyone's welcome, uh, but we don't want to lose the that core motivation of why we serve.
0: Mm. How many houses— has Habitat built? Uh, A couple of years ago, I know they crossed the one million number. What do you have now uh, as an estimate of how many houses have been built by Habitat groups? Basically, they're organized out of local churches, although not exclusively so, but uh, how many houses have they built?
1: So this past year, we helped seven million people, and if you roughly divide it by five, that would get you to the number of families Um, And our cumulative number is now 29 million. And as I said, one of the things that changed is we are still doing more of our traditional work than ever where volunteers are building the houses alongside. But we also recognize that we needed to help more people. And so we are a big growth area for us has been trying to influence the way markets work so that very low income families can have. Access to improve their own housing conditions, and so we've been a, done a lot of work around property rights, making sure that especially women and disadvantaged groups have the right to own and remain on their property. Around access to finance, to uh, convince the microfinance industry to start lending for housing, um, and then now we're working supporting entrepreneurs who are coming up with better building products uh, to improve access to good building materials and uh, and trained masons and and skilled labor um, in. Uh, low-income communities around the world. so it's it's quite extraordinary how fast it's all grown um, but we never want to lose that deep core and more incarnational aspect of people coming together in relationship to build together
2: so good uh, we, we for folks that may be joining us uh, we're talking with jonathan reckford who is the ceo of habitat for humanity been serving that role for almost 15 years and um uh, telling us about the 29 million people that habitat has helped around the world in over 70 countries and um and and uh, you've just written a book, Jonathan. Uh, uh, you may have written others, but you've got this this new book, uh, Our Better Angels. Tell us a little bit about it. Maybe tell us a story or two that's from it, because uh, it's, it's a, related to all your work with Habitat, right?
1: Very much so. And the story of the book really came from an op-ed we did with President Carter after Hurricane Harvey, a bad hurricane, hit the United States. And and uh, and he in it he quoted president lincoln which is where that title comes from for our better angels and talked about how after a big hurricane or a crisis suddenly neighbor helps neighbor and people come together and you don't care if the person coming down to rescue you is of the same race race or religion or ethnicity you're just excited they help and then after the the disaster happens we lose some of that um, community feeling. And President Carter's challenge was, why can't we do that with all the slow-moving, everyday crises in our world? And obviously, housing is a big one. And a publisher saw that and felt like uh, that ought to turn into a book. And so he was kind enough to write the foreword. And it really is a story of everyday heroes um, living out these virtues. And it's anchored around seven virtues, kindness, community, empowerment, joy, respect, generosity, and service. Mm. You could certainly find many more, but just a couple of quick stories that, um, that light me up. One is, is one of my favorites is from Vietnam, and we have had a, for many years a group of Vietnam veterans Um, And I've gotten to experience this personally, who every year take Mm. older uh, veterans who were in the Vietnam War as well as younger veterans who've returned from Afghanistan and Iraq Mm. and take them over to build in in Vietnam alongside Vietnamese veterans of the war and four families who were impacted by the war. Mm. And it's the most extraordinary um, story of kind of catharsis and healing and reconciliation um and it is uh so i think that's one of my favorite stories and wow, in fact uh, yeah in a lovely twist one of the the non-military members of that team is somebody i worked with on wall street right out of college who escaped uh and was one of the boat people um it was a refugee from the war came to the u.s was given an opportunity is a very successful businessman and it was the first chance he'd had to take his son back to vietnam but spoke Vietnamese and translated for the group with the families. And it, is, um, it just is a picture of, of, to me, how community should work uh, in a very different context. Um, I have a dear friend now, uh, Boris Henderson, and it, his story's in the book. And Boris grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, in a neighborhood called The Hole. And you can imagine all that comes in, no indoor plumbing, uh, no heat, and uh, just terrible circumstances. He was ashamed, he was flunking first grade. Um, you know, I think this—he was the sort of boy that that could have been so easily written off. But his mom qualified to buy a Habitat house, and they moved to Optimus Park. And I love the imagery: moving from the hole to Optimus Park. Mm. And Boris ends up. Turns out he's a very smart guy, and ends up getting a full scholarship to Davidson College. Gets an MBA, has a successful real estate career, and now he is sponsoring scholarships in Optimus Park for other kids to have a chance. And he's, I think, uh, one of, at least in recent times, the first uh, person who grew up in a Habitat house to serve on our global board of directors. But, um, and I share that story because what about all the other Borises out there who, you know, just need that opportunity to grow into all that God intends for them?
0: Hmm. Uh, we are talking uh, to Jonathan Rickford, um, who uh, has an interesting career in his uh, his own right. Um, once uh, was a Wall Street guy and. Uh, He was uh, on the managerial staff of groups like uh, Goldman Sachs and Marriott and Walt Disney and Best Buy. And he moved from that to being the executive pastor of a megachurch in Edina, Minnesota, and then from there uh, to be uh, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity. What an interesting background. And uh, uh, he is now uh, leading this movement, which is gigantic in size. Who would have ever imagined uh, when we were in those early stages? Because I was on the global board in the early stages mm. of the development of Habitat for Humanity. I saw this thing from its almost almost not the very beginning, but the inception of the movement. I was there. I watched this thing happen. Uh, and you talk about bringing people together. Uh, Millard Fuller wrote a book called uh, "The Theology of a Hammer." What was that about? Mm.
1: You know, in some ways it's not a real theology, but what's beautiful about Theology of the Hammer is the idea that out um, on the build site, when you're working together doing something with shared purpose, it allows people to focus on what they have in common instead of what divides us, and I think that's been deep in the ethos of Habitat for Humanity, that that virtually um, we're joking about interfaith, you know, I think there's some places in the United States where interfaith means the Catholics and the Baptists and the Methodists work together. Our view of interfaith is that actually means Christians working with, uh, with people of other faiths, but virtually every faith has a value around serving people in need in their communities. And so coming out and building creates a space where even if people can't agree politically, they can't agree theologically, um they can agree on doing something practical. And in that, build relationship, build trust, build community. And as I mentioned before, I really think that the most insidious divide has become the the economic divide. and it, And our hope, and what I've seen in community after community around the world is is when we then build relationship, then those people of affluence and influence, can then be um, part of the solution and can help change policies, can help uh, raise resources, can help uh, fix those pieces. You know, one of my favorite quotes came from that first meeting in 1968. Clarence Jordan wrote in this really prophetic letter that he said, what the poor need is not charity, but capital, not caseworkers, but coworkers." And what the rich need is a wise, honorable, and just way of divesting themselves of their overabundance. (laughs) He really (laughs) believed, which I think is so powerful. And it's so true still today, but he really believed everyone had something to gain and to give. And that sense of partnership, I think, is what has made it work over the years.
0: Uh, you, You know, a lot of our listeners are across the United Kingdom. Could you tell us about Habitat in the United Kingdom and particularly in Northern Ireland, because the Northern Ireland story is unique in and of itself.
1: Yeah, and in fact, there's a nice story in the in the book about Northern Ireland. So we have a small program in, um, in Ireland, Northern Ireland, and in the UK, and we do a little bit of building. Um, and it's interesting, now actually, there's a much bigger housing need, though historically, uh, Great Britain has done much better on social housing than the United States, but now there is a, a housing problem. In Northern Ireland, Almost exclusively, the building is all done with Protestants and Catholics building together. And so it goes back to this theme of reconciliation. And then they also send out mixed groups of Protestants and Catholics to go build in other countries. And again, it's all about building um, community and relationship and sort of breaking down these barriers um, And in the UK, um, which is wonderful, Habitat UK both does some uh, building around the London area, but a lot of of their mission has been to raise money for Europe and Africa. And and they've become an important funding source uh, for our work in very low-income countries in uh, in mostly East Africa and Southeast Asia, um, which has been fantastic. And it is... um, I think on that bridge building in Northern Ireland, actually one of my favorite quotes is from a, another, one of my heroes, but a Habitat volunteer, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who said, you know, as the physical walls go up, the invisible walls that separate us as people come tumbling mm-hmm. down and hope is built in the community. And he sponsored a build every year in South Africa, where of course there had been enormous social divides. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, I think that, uh, that doing something practical is a much more effective way to—and to, serve together is a more effective way to build relationship than to try to sit down and come to a theological understanding across faith. Um, I think the second can happen, but I think uh, first you have to build relationship.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, Jonathan, one one of the questions that often comes up when we talk about wonderful work like Habitats is, is folks will, will get into this kind of— uh, Uh, exhausting debate of whether this is the work of the government or the work of the church. And if we just supported more habitat, then the the government wouldn't need to be in the business of housing. And so can you talk about how you've navigated that? Because you seem really uh, balanced in how you're working with governments, but you're also working in places where governments have, have really failed.
1: You know, it's a great question, Shane. Thank you. And and our view is we need all of the above. Um, you know, for a long time, Habitat's view was we wouldn't take any government money and we wouldn't work with governments because there was a fear of, of losing independence. And what we realized is that there's no example in the world where a country has solved poverty or, or solved their housing issues without partnering with governments. Governments control land use. They control so much of finance and regulation that we have to partner with government. The principle we've held very tightly to, though, is we never should be dependent on government. We always want to uh, make sure that we're not dependent on any particular donor or, uh, or partner. But to do something as complex as housing, you really need the private sector, the public sector, and civil society and faith groups coming together. Mm. And so for us, um, our goal is to actually facilitate partnerships that do bring all these stakeholders together and actually use, in some ways, the Habitat building model as a demonstration of what's possible so that we hopefully then can do something that can scale enough to meaningfully impact housing deficits in the countries we serve.
0: Mm. Uh, uh, Jonathan, uh, there have been so many spin-offs spinoffs uh, from Habitat. Um, Fuller Housing, for instance, is one of them. And uh, Shane, uh, your work in North Philadelphia, rehabbing houses for poor families, uh, is kind of a spin-off of fuller housing which is a spin-off of habitat is it not
2: yeah well you, one of the things I love about uh, habitat uh, Jonathan is is how openly you you share the 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 tools in the toolbox uh, and the wisdom that you've you've developed the the principles so we we have a, a, a organization simple homes which is simple homes right. fuller housing in Philadelphia and um, and and we've we've uh we're we're in the middle of fixing up our I guess it's our fourth house now, so we've just been doing it the last a couple of years under that umbrella, but it's the exact same, uh, principles. You know, we, we say we won't build a house for you, but we'll build a house with you, you know, and each family does 350 hours of sweat equity. We've worked with Muslim families, with Christian, Jewish, any families in our neighborhood. And we, we build a entire social network with them as they fix up their house. We, uh, hold the mortgages at zero interest. We customize the monthly house payments, um, Based on the family's income, the household income, so it's all the same stuff that you've learned over the years, and um, we're we're uh, we're just delighted. And what's what's so cool is the first homeowner that we built a house for incidentally is a big Eagles fan, Tony. So his whole house is painted in the Philadelphia Eagles, our professional <laughs> you know football team wow. colors. Because when he got his house, he was like, "This is my house. I can do whatever I want with it. I'm gonna yeah. paint it Eagles color. But he's invested in every family since uh him and 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 now is like on the board and championing everything um but you know one of the questions John, and as we we just have a couple minutes left is is you know as you've been at it for almost 50 years or whatever is 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 uh is is there anything that you've you've kind of modified or that you found you know it may have worked back then but it doesn't now and it's evolved and changed uh as you've grown you know, I think
1: it's it's been additive, and we have. And thank you, first, um, for what you're doing. It, it we need it all, and so our yeah. view is the more the merrier. We would love every you know uh, every church, every organization to care about housing and and think about how they could uh, do something because we have a real housing crisis in the world now. You know, the numbers yeah. are so staggering: 1.7 billion people living in substandard or poverty housing. And so we, and the U.S. is in the midst of a huge housing crisis of affordability. Uh, One in four families can't afford housing now.
2: Just to make that real, Jonathan, one of my neighbors applied for housing at a time, uh, for affordable housing, Section 8 government subsidized housing, at a time when there were over 3,000 families on the waiting list. And Tony, she got her voucher 10 years later. Wow. And at that point she had had a job, had everything. And so it is, it is a real crisis. So, well, we, we just got a a minute or two left, John, and any closing thoughts as you reflect on, on your wonderful service. 30 seconds. Habitat.
1: There we go. I would just say first, thank you. I would say to the listeners, um, you know, we tend to think, housing tends to have a lower profile and, and it's not the answer, but it's an important part of the solution. If you don't have housing, kids don't stay healthy, they don't do well in school, and then they don't have that chance to really lift themselves up and, and be fully sustainable and fully grow into all uh, that God wants for them. So, um, But we recognize there are tons of other needs out there, too. But I, I, my hope is if people read the book, if uh, if they get engaged in these stories, that it will encourage them to say, whether it's housing or another cause, I'm going to go do something in my community. Mm. And the cumulative impact of enough people doing that really can change the world. In fact, uh, that's how God's that's how God's plan works.
2: So good, yeah. One of our mottos we got from Habitat and Four is building a better world one house at a time. Yes. And so it's been a been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Jonathan. We've been talking with Jonathan Reckford, who's the CEO of Habitat for Humanity, uh, assisted over 29 million people, built over a million houses. We're grateful for your work. Make sure you check out his new book, Our Better Angels. <laughs> so we're out of time. We're out of time.
0: We want to give a plug again for Red Letter Christians. We're part of the Red Letter Christians movement. Uh, Go to your website, redletterchristians.org. Check us out. And there's a place where you can sign on and say, I believe in the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed. I have a high view of Scripture. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I think I need a new name rather than evangelical. I'm going to call myself a Red Letter Christian. I'm going to take the words of Jesus seriously. Thanks for listening. And Jonathan, thank you. Thank you for being part of the show today. Blessings, dear brother.
1: And to you. So great to be with you both. Thank you.